Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The Athletic. Yes, hello there. Get excited because the Premier League season starts this week now and this is the Athletic Football Tactics podcast Premier League season preview. I'm Ali Maxwell and with me today, Michael Cox and Tom Warville. They are both pulsing with excitement for the start of the Premier League season. Now, gents, I know that generally all eyes would be on the start of the Premier League. There'd be written season preview content on the Athletic site. But for both of you, the huge news about Lionel Messi moving from Barcelona to PSG, that's been your focus this week, Tom. That's what you've been writing about on site. Yeah, that was, um, I guess that was my my first job Monday morning was to get to grips with that, the fact that Messi was joining PSG very quickly and try and coherently think through what they're going to look like tactically and how kind of him and Neymar are going to play together. Um, so that was a, a fun piece I did with with Mark Carey on the site. Um, I spoke a bit about their usage rates, which I don't think has been used too often on on the athletics site, and looking at how much of the ball each of them look to use and how they, they might work well together. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, I still... I was looking at my my phone last night in bed and seeing all the videos and it still doesn't feel real. But uh, it is and there's stuff you can read on the site about it. Absolutely. Head to The Athletic to read more on that. But today is all about the Premier League, the return of it. And yeah, there are so many ways to skin a cat with these sorts of preview shows. Typically, I find that finding that balance between covering each club in the same detail, which I think is important, and not releasing a four-hour episode is is quite difficult. So the plan for today, the plan for our Premier League preview is essentially speed dating. I've told the guys to give me their best minute each on every single Premier League team. And in that time, we hope, and we know deep down because they're the best at what they do, that they will get across key questions ahead of the new season, tactical and analytical research and insight, with some opinion mixed in as well. Uh, Probably not a ton of predictions, but I don't think that's what you listen for anyway, guys. You'll be armed with knowledge ahead of the new campaign, and that is the strongest currency of all these days. Uh, In the interest of keeping it lean and snappy, this will probably be the least I ever say on a podcast, which I'm sure will be music to the ears of many. And we're going to go in alphabetical order, starting with Arsenal. They finished eighth last season, missing out on European football, although they did finish with five straight wins. Michael Cox, what's your gut saying about Arsenal this campaign? I think no European commitment is good. More time on the training ground, obviously, for Arteta in the week. Um, I also just think the, the mood of the club hasn't been helped in recent years by those quite sparsely attended, slightly grim Thursday nights at the Emirates. So I just don't think it's been popular, and I think that... The, uh, the ability to focus on the Premier League might help them out. I feel like there's almost no excuses for Arteta now. I think he needs to get back to what Arsenal were doing well uh, when he first came in, particularly in terms of playing out from the back. I think at times last towards the end of last season, after a couple of nervy moments, 
Um, they kind of went away from that. I think going forward, they just need one attacker to have a great season. I mean, their top assister last time around was William with five, which is really quite poor. Whether that's Aubameyang, Lacazette, maybe Pepe, maybe Smith-Rowe, whoever. I think it's difficult to finish in the top four or five sides these days unless you have one attacker having a real standout campaign, um, at least one attacker. Yeah, I'm very much intrigued by Arsenal's moves in the um, in the transfer market this summer. I mean, there's big question marks over Ben White and was that really a position that needed strengthening to the tune of fifty million pounds? Um, he's extremely versatile, and we you know we saw him first game against against Tottenham at the Emirates in the preseason friendly, and he stepped out the back, took on two players, and that's a very Ben White thing that we'll see a lot of. But elsewhere, um, Albert Sami Lokongo and Tavares as well from Benfica, they kind of have this whiff of joined up decision making about them. <laughs> um, kind of cheaper, younger players who have potential will have a sell on fee if you know if they play well. And Arsenal really are a bit of a selling club, I know. I guess uh, to, to to some extent, they're not quite as big as they once were. So um, intrigued to see how those guys play out. Um, and they've just had to really double down on the kids this year. Um, given the budget restraints, it probably helps, like Michael says, with their lack of, of Europe. Um, but I think I that's all kind of positive and look to the future. But I think the here and now is I worry a bit for Aubameyang. He had a bad season last time. His numbers were declining in 2019-20. And that is going to be a big question mark because without him, Lacazette isn't that guy who's going to get 15-20 goals a season. And Ketty is maybe not good, good enough and Balogun's too young. So, um, yeah, that for me is the interesting one. Do they sort that out before the window closes? Uh, and can Aubameyang bounce back from a, a bad campaign? Some cautious enthusiasm there, but still some questions that need answering, I think, for Arsenal. In terms of Aston Villa, Dean Smith at the helm here still. It's not been a restful summer for him, certainly for those who work in the recruitment team there, a very busy one. They're looking to build on an 11th place finish last season without Jack Grealish, but with plenty of new faces in the building. Michael, what's your main area of interest when it comes to Villa this campaign? Yeah, I mean, the base of the side is pretty settled, isn't it? Same goalkeeper, really solid back four, midfield, central midfielders work pretty well. It's, it's almost all changed in the final third because of Grealish's departure. Obviously, they looked at him for so much last year. I think they've actually played it pretty well. They've got in essentially three for the price of one near, near enough. Grealish is gone, but you've got the creativity of Buendia, who has been putting up incredible numbers over the past couple of seasons, one in the Premier League, one in the Championship. You've got the pace of uh, Bailey out wide. I think that was a bit of a problem area for them last season, although to be fair, El Ghazi did chip in with quite a few goals in the end. And then up front, Danny Ings, unusual signing. I mean, came completely out of the blue, but does uh, ease the goal-scoring burden on Ollie Watkins, who I think had a really good campaign. But there's no reason they can't play together. I think Watkins kind of running in behind and Ings playing as almost as much of a number 10 as um, as a forward. Um, I just think it gives them more options. I think Dean Smith does like tactical options. So I think they could improve, actually. I think 11th last year was probably slightly blow par. I mean, Grealish was out for a period of months, wasn't he? So it's worth considering... Um, they were without him for a while. They struggled without him, but now they'll be without him and with some other very good players. Tom, when you try and build a, a sort of predicted starting eleven for Villa, it's difficult because of the options that they have now, but also because of the, the team shape that we've been used to over the last two seasons. And now, essentially, if you build a starting eleven with a four-two-three-one or a four-three-three, you really have to leave out Watkins or Ings, which seems suboptimal, or you have to move one of them into a position that we're not used to seeing them play. Yeah, absolutely. I think, I mean, just to 
piggyback onto what Michael said there, I do think it's been a great window. And I mean, this pod more than any takes the emotion out of the game and thinks things objectively and tactically and analytically. And I think that we all probably see Grealish for 100 million uh, equaling Buendia, Ings, Bailey, probably plus cash left over. And I think that's that's pretty darn good. Um, but yeah, in terms of the the lineup, I, I tend to agree. I think Ings at times has played a kind of nine and a half role for Southampton and wouldn't be, wouldn't be surprised to see him do something similar. Um, uh, but yeah, I, I do think we'll see more variation in terms of the shapes that Dean Smith uses this season. I think last season was a lot of 4-2-3-1, a lot of 4-3-3, so maybe there's something in there. I don't think they'll go quite 4-4-2, but something where they've they've got Ings playing that kind of second striker role, uh, which you don't see too much of in the Premier League. Um, but for them, like you said, I think the back line's probably fairly settled. I'm quite intrigued to see how Ezri Konza progresses with his game. Um, he was very good defensively last year in terms of a, uh, I guess he was more of a cat type of defender, if we go back to that kind of analogy again. Um, and I, I probably want to see a bit more of him on the ball, um, increasing his range of passing, um, trying some kind of more riskier pass through the lines at times, because that, if, if that's... You know, if he wants to build and become a top six level quality centre back, he needs to be exposed to more situations like that. So intrigued um, how he gets on, and I think Villa will be just fine having turned Grealish into three very good players. We've got a first time member of the Premier League as well to look forward to in Brentford. Their head coach is Thomas Frank, and not only are they a great addition to the Premier League, but also a great addition to the Athletics roster. The the excellent Jay Harris will be covering. Brentford throughout this campaign really looking forward to reading his pieces because Brentford are a fascinating club Tom uh, what are you looking forward to most um I think mainly with Brentford it's probably just good to see them in the Premier League as it's a I guess it shows the fruits of their labor for the past few seasons and that having a, a well-defined process and trusting it and sticking to it does work and you can finally point to them and say look it took them a couple more seasons maybe more than they like but this is a model that you know, give success, and they will now, you know, have the injection, you know, the injection of of Premier League cash, which will make them a kind of bigger, stronger club for the next few seasons, maybe the next, you know, ten, twenty at least. But in terms of their their recruitment this summer, it's been fairly predictable, I guess, with Michelin's uh, on Onyeka signing midfielder, um, and Jens Kajusta being linked as well, also at Michelin. But I'm really excited to see um, Christopher Ayer from Celtic. Um, he was definitely ready for a move away from Celtic. Uh, I watched a few of their games last year and he's just excellent at carrying the ball out of defence, really likes to commit people, step out of the back. Um, and I think that is perfectly suited for, for the role that Brentford have for him and just good to see him in the Premier League. So um, yeah, excited for a bit of Ayer and also to see if, if even Tony is Premier League worthy. Yeah, I find that very difficult to predict. I'd say they probably have the biggest range of finishing positions almost. I wouldn't be shocked if they went down, wouldn't be shocked if they finished, you know, did a bit of a Leeds and finished top half. Um, Frank seems a good tactician, usually like two systems he can chop and change between. My one concern is that they often started matches very slowly last year and came from behind. I just, I don't think that's going to be possible in the Premier League because of the step up in quality. But yeah, I mean, they've got a couple of very exciting players going forward. I mean, Tony scored... Uh, more championship goals than than anyone has ever done. So you, you would think that he will adjust well to the Premier League. And in Buemo just behind him as well. I mean, great numbers in the last two championship campaigns. Scored 24 goals and 17 assists. And again, that, you know, it's not going to record the same numbers, but you think that should translate quite well to the Premier League. So yeah, I think a very exciting new addition. And regardless of whether they uh, stay up this time, 
most of us would put good money on them being a established Premier League force in a few years' time. Talk about a team with a process, Tom Warville. How about Brighton and Hove Albion? Yeah, the XG boys. Um, I think they could have a really, really good season. Um, we saw, you know, the, the underlying numbers last year, one of the best defences in the league per XG, a decent attacking side going forwards. And I think they do that again. They hit power on their numbers and they're, they're, they're honestly, they could be anywhere from sixth down to, to ninth. I think that's probably a realistic finishing position if they hit the same numbers again. Now that's a big if, um, but they've not had too much squad turnover uh, they've seemingly kept Basuma, they've gamed in Wepu, um, and I think that just having a bit of a summer off for a lot of those players would be really helpful. Um, I'm looking forward to a full season of, of Alexis McAllister, who is a really nice kind of tidy between the lines player. Um, and Adam Webster as well, I think, is one of the better passing centre-backs in the Premier League. Um, he had his injury issues last year, but I think he's recently signed a new deal and yeah, he's he's one that I think is important for them now that Ben White's gone to bring the ball out of the back. So, yeah, excited for another season of um, Graham Potter's Brighton. Yeah, it's all about that finishing topic, really, isn't it? I mean, even non-stats people kind of know about Brighton XG now. <laughs> Feels like a breakthrough for the likes of Tom. Um, I think they'll improve significantly. Um, they should be mid-table minimum push for the top half. Um, if if they're battling relegation again, and they were really for much of last season, I think you have to ask questions. And I do think if you play lots of creative, mobile, clever players, but you don't have an outright good finisher, there is a decent potential for you to waste chances. But yeah, I'm a big fan of Potter. I like what he does. I like how he's, he's tactically flexible, sets the side up in some very interesting patterns. And uh, I fancy them to go well. What about Burnley under Sean Dyche? Last season, they had a, a disappointing campaign by their own fairly lofty standards, you have to say, since they've been back in the Premier League. What kind of shape do you think they are in? I think there's two ways of looking at this. I mean, on a wider level, there's weird things happening at the club after the takeover. A lot of senior people have left. Um, our correspondent, Andy Jones, has, has done a couple of interesting pieces on this. Um, I believe at the moment they're without a chief exec, a technical director or a head of academy which doesn't bode well for the long term. Uh, there's a, a, a new contract on the table for Sean Dyche, but he hasn't yet signed it. I think if he was to leave, they'd plummet quite quickly. But in terms of looking at just the team, I mean, they'll be roughly as good as last year. The, the team has barely changed. The uh, managerial style definitely won't change. Um, and they're pretty much the only team playing that way. I mean, you look at the, the teams that have come up, they're, they're quite modern-sized, they're quite technical, you know, generally want to play good football, recruiting from relatively obscure places and there's Burnley still just being Burnley when in the league there's no Allardyce there's no Pulis there's no Hodgson there's, there's none of those guys um, and I think just giving teams a different challenge uh, is a benefit for uh, for Burnley and I think they play the style quite well I know people think that just playing long ball and 4-4-2 is is easy but it's not there's little details that I think Dyche is very very good at the defence is, is usually fairly settled although they do have some off days. I think they tend to be quite good in keeping clean sheets against the the teams in and around the relegation zone. And I think that will probably be enough to keep them up. Yeah, I think they're they're in dire need really of a, a kind of palace like rebuild at some point. Um, hopefully sooner than rather than later, and probably not this season. Going by their their current movements in the transfer window, but yeah, I, I probably agree with Michael. That it's going to be more of the same, but I think they're probably a few big injuries away from a big quality drop off in in certain positions, and that is the biggest worry for them. Like they're probably solid enough to not get relegated and finish lower mid table, but you know if you have a bit of bad luck and that variant swings 
the wrong way, you could find yourself in, in relegation trouble. But um, I quite like Collins as a signing and uh, potentially as a uh, kind of longer term Tarkovsky replacement who looks like he's going for nothing like summer. But it's just quite tame, I guess, following Burnley. And I feel a little bit for, for Andy Jones at times. <laughs> Although, like Michael said, I guess the, uh, the lack of key players and key positions uh, off the pitch is certainly uh, intriguing, if not slightly worrying. Absolutely brilliant writer though, Andy, and I, I love the way he covers the club. Next up on the list is, is Chelsea. Thomas Tuchel in charge, Tommy Tactics, as we like to call him on this podcast. They are the Champions League holders, an incredible turnaround after Tuchel's appointment. And I think we can assume that there's one key addition this season, and that is Romelu Lukaku. Michael, how lofty should expectations be for Chelsea? Yeah, very high. I mean, they beat Manchester City in three different competitions at the back end of last season. What they weren't so good at was against the lesser teams. I think sometimes struggled to break them down. Um, but he's got all the options he could want now. He can play a back three or a back four. In central midfield, he's got a passer and a destroyer. He's got creative options between the lines, speed in behind. Finally, a proper, almost guaranteed 20-goal-a-season striker in Lukaku when that is announced. Really good wing-backs. And yeah, I, I just think they're going to put up a really good challenge for the title. The only thing I'd say is they've got a very tough start. They're away at Arsenal and Liverpool and Spurs within the first five. And then their sixth game is against Manchester City. So I wouldn't be surprised if they're seventh or eighth after six or seven games of the campaign. But I think they'll come on strong after that. Yeah, we've said that. I mean, this isn't a Chelsea comment, but we said that a couple of times that the teams have got a tough start and it could be one of the kind of more fiery starts to the Premier League season that at least I can remember um, in terms of just strength of of schedule for some teams but yeah back to Chelsea uh, the numbers were, were really good once Tuchel took over um, I don't think the attack was that great it was it was better than average it was a good top six side but it wasn't probably as, as good as it could be on paper but it's just defensively they starved teams of possession and therefore chances and just did that so effectively so um, he's got such a deep squad he's arguably the best tactically pragmatic manager that there is in the world right now and I'd be very surprised if they weren't in the top two come the end of the season. Further south, Crystal Palace are a fascinating one to preview. The biggest squad churn for sure in the Premier League this summer. A new manager in Patrick Vieira making his first managerial steps in the Premier League. Michael, what do you make of this rebrand? Yeah, it's an odd one. I mean, Vieira seems to be a, a kind of possession-based manager. I think Palace are one of those sides who have decided they need to yeah, evolve their style of play. I still think their attacking players are probably more suited to playing on the counter-attack, though. And I think that is um, that might be a little bit difficult for Vieira, who I must say have been slightly unconvinced by his managerial career thus far. I thought that was a surprising appointment. And yeah, I mean, to pick up on what Tom just said about teams with a tough start, maybe it's my imagination, but there seems to be more of an imbalance than usual in terms of some teams have a really quite a gentle start and some teams have a really difficult start. And... Palace, they've got Brentford at home in their second game. But aside from that, it's really difficult until October. They play Chelsea, Tottenham, Liverpool, Leicester, Arsenal and Manchester City in that time. Real, no gimmies. And when you think about what happened with Frank de Boer, um, you know, who came in four defeats, clearly the players lost interest straight away. You wouldn't rule out something similar happening with that kind of... Um, that kind of start to the campaign. So, yeah, I'm a little bit unsure about Palace. I was a big fan of Hodgson and what he did. I was always convinced that he would keep them in the division. I think it's a bit of a gamble with Vieira. They might push on and finish in the top half. They've never done that before in the Premier League, but I think they could also be battling relegation. 
Yeah, I think with Palace, the, the range of positions that they could finish in is probably, you know, 11th down to anywhere, maybe even 20th perhaps. I think it's it's quite hard to call them until we see Vieira's kind of first game and how he looks to set up and how well teams and players adapt. But um, yeah, I'm, I quite like their business off the pitch. I mean, Anderson was very solid last season. I do wonder a bit. I mean, are they playing him in the same system where he was so effective or has he got to step up a bit more and engage players more and is he well suited to do that? I think there's a bit of a question mark. At least we've not seen him able to do that in the Premier League too much. Um, Mark Grahy, really nice player on the ball at, at Swansea. I mean, Ali, you definitely know a thing or two about him. And Michael Olise, who for, I think, £7 million is ridiculous value. Um, I mean, he's four years younger than Eberiche Eze, who's <laughs> allegedly a, a young player at Palace. <laughs> that uh, is, is quite striking. So excited to see Olise this season. Um but yeah, I mean, it's still a fairly, I'm not too sure about the squad. I still think there's a few more things they need to to get done. Um, they've still got some injuries at the start of the season. Eze's out, Nathan Ferguson's out, who hasn't really played a lot for Palace since joining from West Brom last summer. So yeah, it's it's the first season in the while I've been excited about Palace. Uh, and um, yeah, I can't really say much more than that. It's a, It's a nice feeling to have. Feels like as neutrals or or outside observers, there's a pretty common theme here, which is one of excitement and interest for this rebrand, but no one really willing to put their neck on the line and predict great success, certainly not in the short term. So they will certainly be a team that will keep a very close eye on in the first few weeks of the season and maybe check in on Patrick Vieira a month or so in. Yeah, I think people have probably got a bit of PTSD after Frank de Boer's awful kind of stint at the club and and that carrying over and thinking, oh, Vieira, possession-based manager, squad not quite ready, not quite ready, but hope, hopefully not. I think it seems that there's been some joined-up thinking between the recruitment and, and the plan with Vieira um, and they've not just kind of hired for, for a manager and then hope that the pieces all fit together. So, um, yeah, well, we shall see. I'm still smiling at you calling Iberi as a allegedly a young player. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, I'm Mark Chapman. This is what we've got planned for you across the Athletic Podcast Network this season. The Ornstein and Chapman podcast has been rebranded as the Athletic Football Podcast. We'll release four episodes across the week as our journalists bring you the very best insight into the biggest stories in football and the business of sport. Michael Cox will continue to bring you the smartest analysis of all the big games in the Athletic Football Tactics podcast. Adam Hurry will now host two episodes of the Football Clichés podcast every single week with his usual take on the game. There's a brand new Athletic FPL podcast with our fantasy football expert, the FPL General, giving you all the advice you need to stay ahead of your mates and top of the FPL rankings. And the Athletic Podcast Network 
is also home now to host of club-specific shows, some of which are going to be releasing multiple episodes every week. And we're now your destination, don't forget, for the Totally Football Show with James Richardson and the Totally Football League Show. And that is it. We can't fit any more in. All you've got to do is search for The Athletic in your podcast provider of choice or go to our podcast section on The Athletic app. Not surprisingly, with all of the stuff that I've just mentioned, The Athletic is now the world's biggest football podcast network. Next up is Everton. They've also made a change in the dugout. This one enforced by Ancelotti's departure to Real Madrid. Everton have replaced him with Rafa Benitez, Michael. What's your expectation for Everton under Benitez? Yeah, it's a funny one. Ancelotti and Benitez just seem to do the same jobs again and again. They've both been at Real Madrid. They've both been at Napoli. They've both been at Chelsea. Now they've both been at Everton. Um, Can't see much changing, really. I mean, I I think Benitez, I'd trust him to shore up the defence a little bit more. I think really the quality with this Everton side is, I mean, Rodriguez, Richarlison and Calvert-Lewin, that is a really, really exciting front three. And I just think the way that Benitez deploys his attacking players, quite strict roles, doesn't really want them to be deviating too much from their starting positions. I'm just not quite sure it will bring out the best in them, to be honest. The one thing I'd say, and we're going back to, you know, fixture difficulty at the start of the season, which I do think is worth chatting about in part because... No one's going to be uh, listening to this preview in a couple of months' time, so we might as well talk about what's happening in August and September. They've got a really gentle start, and I think that's important for Benitez, you know, a manager, controversial appointment, someone who a lot of Everton fans were not sure about and were protesting about. They've got a nice, easy start. Southampton, Leeds, Brighton, Burnley, Villa, Norwich. There's no big, you know, with respect, no real big six, big seven teams in there. And I think that is really important in trying to convince some of the fans that Benitez can uh, make things work. It is weird that, I mean, Hammers in that system where you, you think that for Benitez, the wingers are going to stay wide, get cr- a lot of crosses in. There's a lot of space, therefore, between them and Hammers Rodriguez, who's, who's playing as a number 10. It really struggled to see how, how you get much out of him. And I think there's some thinking by the Everton fans that, you know, Rodriguez should go and he's not kind of all that which is surprising because I think he was the best best ball progressor for them last season when we're looking at expected threat, which is a, a piece I did on the site uh, last week. But aside from that, I mean, this summer for them, really kind of underwhelming window and it obviously seems that there's just not a lot of cash at the club and they've not even been able to sell any players to generate any funds. I mean, looking at the outgoings, Theo Walcott's left, Balassi's gone, Josh King's gone. Uh, Bernard's gone for a fee but I can't imagine it's that much and there's a couple of loans there and then the incomings are and just Townsend and a free and Damari Gray for just over uh, just, well, just under £2 million so mm. yeah I guess this is a bit of a it seems like the club's stalling a little bit in the market and, and there's no money and it'll take a bit of time getting fans in generating revenues to actually go out and invest so it's a bit of a you know, partridge shrug of a summer but um, we'll see that gentle, <laughs> gentle start could come in handy for a uh, for Benitez. We've got Leeds United up next. Their first season back at this level. They finished in the top half. Brilliant achievement, matching what Sheffield United did the year before. And Michael, when we spoke about promoted teams and looked at the ones that overperform, the unique style of play, unique tactics, really was a key theme for both of those sides. Now, the question is, in the second season, do teams get used to that? Are they more ready for it? Well, Marcelo Bielsa said this week, yes, we are now better known to our rivals, but they are also better known to us. 
Yeah, uh, and we know that Bielsa does uh, does put a lot of emphasis in trying to find out about his rivals, don't we? So, um, yeah, I think Leeds would do well. I mean, they haven't changed much from last year. They've lost Alyovsky and brought in Junior Firpo, which is losing a left-back who wears number 10 and bringing in one who's going to wear the number three shirt. So, in my opinion, that's automatically an upgrade. Um, <laughs> the player who's got that number 10 shirt is Rafinha, and I think he's the most exciting player in this side. Um, I mean, going forward, I wouldn't really back Bamford to score 17 goals again. I think that was possibly a bit of an anomaly. But um, I think Jack Harrison and Rafinha could push on. I think they're both really good players, um, individually good. But I think they also combine well on the break, which you don't often say about two wide players. But their switches of play were so good. And, you know, when they're both running at the opposition defence, I think they're um, just really exciting to watch. So, yeah, I can't see them being too different from last year because this, the team is very similar. But I would more back them to improve with those players pushing on than I would uh, you know, bet them to be a victim of second season syndrome, which I don't think tends to happen as much as it did. Although, of course, Sheffield United were a classic case last year. Yeah, there's not really been much much improvement off the pitch. I think Firpo definitely is a, an upgrade on Alioski, even if it might take him a couple of games to get used to playing, playing in the team and the style. Um, I think Harrison will, will really kick on and would be surprised to not see him in an England squad at some point this season. He's probably on the kind of the fringe of the fringe in the summer. Um, and yeah, I think if he you know gets a good run of games, he could even be in that, that September squad. So um, one to, to keep an eye on for sure. Um, the other thing as well is up front, there's not really been any investment obviously in a striker keeping Bamford Tyler Roberts still there as a backup um, I think we'll get some minutes from Joe Gelhart at some point who I think I'm right in saying is the first Scouse striker in the Premier League since Wayne Rooney uh, mainly to <laughs> double check but uh, yeah more of a, a niche stat but certainly one who's uh, who's looked good at youth level now I don't want to expose poor knowledge of the northwest of England I'm just going to say one name to you Ricky Lambert and I'll wait to see the replies. I'll wait to see the responses to tell me if that counts or not. I suppose Lambert was out the league before Rooney was out the league. So you're probably still technically correct. Anyway, Leicester City under Brendan Rodgers. Michael, for the second season in a row, they were pipped to the last Champions League spot right at the last. But another impressive campaign, you have to say. Is it more of the same for Leicester this time around? Can they get even better? Well, I mean, Leicester... For all their success, they've been a bit of a selling club over over recent years. I think they've broadly embraced that, but they haven't really sold anyone key this time around. I think they're in a very good position where could lose almost anyone and still be in quite good shape. I just back Rodgers to shuffle his pack and change his system and bring the best out of his attacking players. I think maybe the player that might be moved aside slightly this year could be Jamie Vardy. Because Kelechi Inacho really was the star for the, the second half of last season going forward. They brought in uh, Patson Dacker up front, who um, has got a tremendous goal-scoring record uh, elsewhere. He was in Austria, so it's not the uh, the toughest division. But in all competitions, he scored 61 goals in the last two seasons. You have to think that will translate to maybe a dozen or so in the Premier League if he gets good minutes. Um, five to one. It's a five to one exchange rate, is it? Yeah, I mean, that sounds roughly about right. Once you take into account all competitions in two seasons and... Uh, and the fact he might not play too much. But yeah, that sounds about right to me. Um, I, my fear for Leicester is they're going to have the same season as they've had in the last two and finish fifth. Um, or, or just outside the Champions League places. But um, yeah, that's still, I think, them punching above their weight. I was going to say, if that's the fear, then that's 
a decent outcome. They won the FA Cup as well last season. Yeah, for sure. I think it's just because they've almost, well, they've pretty much fallen out of the Champions League places in the last two weeks of the last two seasons. So it feels like that is their goal for this season. I'm not sure I can see it happening because I think the top four are probably quite almost detached from the rest this year. I think there is quite an obvious top four. But yeah, I, I think another positive season for Leicester. Yeah, I wonder if we see Rodgers at times use a four-three-three with with Tielemans and Sumare and Ndidi and probably Madison in there as well. If you know instead of Tielemans or, or Sumare, so I think it just gives him a lot of a lot of nice options. And I think Sumare is a really nice. I guess the skill set overlaps nicely with Tielemans, who's more of a passer but a slow mover, and Didi, who covers a lot of ground, reads the game really well, but is really bad at progressing the ball. And I think Samari can do a bit of both. Um, so yeah, exciting to to see that. But also uh, a season of fully fit Harvey Barnes would be nice to have. That's on my my wish list for this season. I really think that he probably is next in line for for Liverpool, perhaps to to you know take the Salah or the Mane spot once one of those leaves to PSG even or, or Real Madrid at some point I just think that he has all the the raw materials there to be a perfect player for that kind of Klopp system so um, yeah excited to see more of Harvey Barnes and more of Leicester relentless attacking threat Harvey Barnes I co-sign your request for a fully fit season of Harvey Barnes too Tom talking of Liverpool they went from 99 points in the 2019-20 season to 69 last season with some mitigating circumstances, of course. Michael, what level do you expect from Liverpool this time? I think the defenders coming back is going to make them better going forward. Uh, Van Dijk's passing helps a lot. Gomez's speed allows them to play a little bit higher up or be a little bit more comfortable playing that high up. It means there's more cover for Alexander Arnold when he pushes forward. He didn't have the best campaign last time around, but I think should get back towards his best, um, assuming he's uh, returns to full fitness soon. Henderson back in midfield is a big boost. He was brilliant in the title winning campaign. I think they'll create more chances. Basically, it's the title winning campaign plus Thiago. I think he could have a good second season. I think last year, for various reasons, it was quite difficult for uh, for newcomers to English football to settle. Just think the circumstances in the world made it slightly difficult for them to feel at home, to be honest. I can't think of many imports that had a very good first season last time around. Um, my concern would be whether Mane and Firmino are quite as good as two years ago. I think there's some maybe long-term fatigue, long-term tiredness that might be setting in. Um, so that makes me doubt that they're going to be on the level of the uh, the big two, I would say. City and Chelsea, I think, are going to be really strong this year but um we'll certainly improve from last year that was completely dominated by injuries which i know we spent the whole season saying but it was the major factor in their decline in my opinion i think it's going to be really obvious this this season that when you play your best players in the best positions you play better football than what you had to play <laughs> playing them in their wrong positions you know fabinho <laughs> said about is is fine but it's not ideal and it's the same across the board for liverpool it's, you know henderson at the back as well so um yeah i i guess on my wish list for Liverpool is not hearing too much about that because it just seems obvious at this point. Um, but, I mean, elsewhere, Andy Robertson's out at the start of the season with an ankle injury, so we finally get to see some minutes from from Costa Simicas, um, which will be fun because I don't really have a, a good measure on whether he's at the Premier League level or not. Um, but I think the big question for Liverpool really is, uh, is probably, A, do they have to rely on the depth as much if they can, can not be affected as much by 
freak injuries really um but also you look at the the bench and you've got ox you've got minamino you've got origi among others shakiria it may be in that list but probably will leave um are they still at the quality that they need to be for a kind of title challenging side i think that is questionable um uh, and it's probably the same with Nabicator, but it's slightly different where you know the talent's there you know he's good he's performed pretty well when he's come on and always started but the issues really have been him following instruction and being a bit too aggressive to press when he should defend the space and staying fit. And we've still yet to see the the you know the best from him in his now three seasons at the club. So um, a lot of interesting things to Liverpool, but I don't think that they will be challenging for the title uh, quite as aggressively as they have done in, in the couple of years previous. Well, Manchester City took their title off them and they are now the team to beat. Uh, Pep Guardiola... With some big questions ahead of the new season, Michael, because it's not easy to retain a title once you've won it. What are the main topics for you when it comes to Manchester City as we begin the campaign? Well, they clearly want to reformat their attack. I mean, they won the league really without a prolific striker. The top goal scorer was Gundogan. Don't think he's going to be scoring double figures again. I think that was a little bit of a freak thing. Um, obviously, they brought in Grealish to play as a number eight, according to our Manchester City correspondent, Sam Lee, who tends to be right on this kind of thing. Um, that means him and Kevin De Bruyne both playing as free eights, to use that De Bruyne expression. They were the two players who created the most chances per 90 in the Premier League last season. So that's quite sensational. The issue is, I mean, if they've lost Aguero and don't get any replacement, I mean, that's clearly not their, uh, what they're planning for. They wanted Harry Kane up front. If they don't get Harry Kane, they're possibly lacking someone to finish the chances. Um, I'm still not 100% convinced about them defensively. 32 goals last season was relatively high. Their previous two wins under Guardiola, they considered 27 and 23 respectively. So 32 is quite a, a bit more. Um, and I think Chelsea will be really, really tight at the back. I mean, I think Chelsea, if they carry on as they've been doing under Tuchel, they could be recording a, a number of clean sheets we haven't seen for many years in the Premier League. So. I look at Zinchenko and think he's maybe a little bit wobbly defensively. Diaz was a great addition. I don't quite understand why he was voted the best player in the league, I must say. Um, and Rodri and a 36-year-old Fernandinho, I don't think either of them are top class at protecting the defence. So look, they start as favourites, no question about that. But I think there's a few more cracks than you would expect for a side who A, have just won the title and B, start as favourites this time around. I tend to agree that they, they need a striker and if you think that Grealish and Gundogan are probably going to be playing in tandem at times, you're going to miss Gundogan's late runs into the box and goal-scoring threat when Grealish is there. That's not really a part of his game. Maybe it's something he can add, but um, it's quite a, a big ask in your first season at a club where you'll be playing radically different football, really, from what he was at, at Villa. So I'm intrigued to see... I feel that we're going to get into the tedious debate of is Grealish really worth 100 million because you know, his individual game isn't exposed as much as it was at Villa. He doesn't put up the, as good individual numbers, perhaps, but, you know, they still are a fantastic uh, overall collective as a team. Shout out Sam Lee, by the way. What an incredible shift he's put in this summer um, covering Manchester City for The Athletic. Their City rivals, Manchester United under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, came third in the nineteen twenty season. They came second last campaign. You know what's coming, Michael. Is a tilt at the title on the cards for United? Yeah, they should come close. I mean, their best should be their best challenge since Ferguson left. Across the last four transfer windows, they've added Fernandes, Cavani, Varane and Sancho. So let's not pretend they're not signing top-class players. The defence is very, very solid. Um, a question mark about the, the goalkeeper. I think that is an issue that 
isn't going to go away. I'm not sure how it can be resolved, really. Um, and also, Solskjaer has learned how and when to use Pogba. I think in big games, he's just said, look, we're going to be solid without you or we're going to put you out wide. Um, and they're, of course, very, very promising going forward. Sancho's a great addition. But Mason Greenwood, I mean, he scored 17 goals over the last two seasons. He's still only a teenager. He could at some point explode into a real great forward. You know, if he scores 15, 20 goals this season, then I think, you know, with the uh, with the goals from elsewhere in the side, they could really, really come close. Again, just no real excuses, really. They don't have a top-class holding midfielder. I appreciate that. But you're never going to be world-class in every position. It's up to the manager to format the side to get the, the best out of your strengths and to hide your weaknesses. And I think Solskjaer's basically going about that in the right way. Yeah, plenty of smart off-field acquisitions, obviously with Sancho and Varane. You're spending a lot of money on those. But I think... One of the more under-the-radar ones will be Eric Ramsey, who's a set-piece coach or is now going to be a set-piece coach for United, joining from Chelsea. Um, probably don't have to pay him all that much compared to the players, but the improvement they could get attacking and defending set-pieces I think could be really vital in, in a title charge for sure. Um, elsewhere, we've not really spoken much about Bruno Fernandes this summer. I don't think he was too good for Portugal at the Euros, but um, it's probably good that he's had a bit of a rest given how much he... He loves playing, um, but also you need to manage that, definitely. And having Sancho on the team means that there's less reliance on him for, for ball progression, for creating chances uh, and getting in the box as well. Um, and then I guess two players who haven't really done too much in a United shirt ever up to this point are, I'm going to call him Donny van der Beef because he's really uh, put on the muscle this summer. Um, he was a, a big money signing last year, didn't really see a lot of him. I still struggle to see how he fits in this side if you're going to play a a double pivot because that's not really him but um, has he done, yeah. he's done a, done a Goretzka has he? Leveled yeah up. he has I don't think it's quite to the level of Goretzka because Goretzka's is was just unbelievable but uh, yeah Van der Beek's definitely seen that he's had to add something and um, yeah sat in the gym all summer um, and I think the surprise of the season or someone that we could maybe you know put our flag in the sand now uh, about having a, a decent impact on the team could be Diogo Dallo Um Kieran Trippier, of course, was linked as a, a more attacking fullback option. I think Atletico Madrid are asking for a lot of money that United don't want to pay. Uh, and Dallo was he was decent at AC Milan. He obviously featured for Portugal in the summer. Um, he has a really good ability to, to to cross the ball in. I think he's a nice attacking option for for them on that side. So expect to see him in featuring more in games and and hopefully have a, a bit more of an impact than Wam Saka does going forward at times. Newcastle United finished 12th last season. 11th place Villa were 10 points ahead of them. So Newcastle really were the top of that group of sides that managed to avoid relegation, but not a huge amount more. Uh, Steve Bruce at the helm still. Has anything happened over the summer that's particularly caught your eye ahead of the new season with Newcastle? Or can we expect more of the same? I think roughly more of the same. Yeah, not not much has changed. The, the biggest signing, whether the only major signing is, is Willock, who of course is... Has made that loan with permanent. Um, I do think they've got real quality going forward with Willett. I thought Wilson at times was absolutely brilliant last year, particularly when they used those kind of split strikers and he was playing in the right channel. Sam Maximan is always very lively on the break. Al Moron is a great off-the-ball runner and has improved his contributions in terms of goals and assists. So, yeah, I think more of the same for Newcastle. I know the fans aren't happy um, for various reasons and understandably so, but I don't think they will be really in danger of going down. I, I just think they've got too much quality going forward. Uh, issues about their defence, they do concede too many goals, but I don't think they'll be uh, in a relegation scrap. 
Yeah, it feels it feels funny because with Newcastle there was a point last season where it was it was very very bad from the you know the fans' point of view, the lack of investment, the lack of of you know tactical intelligence, I guess from from Steve Bruce and I think Graham Jones obviously added a lot to that and I think probably having a full season of Jones on the training ground, um, the less condensed schedule as well probably helps. So you think there's maybe a bit of a boost in them tactically from just having more of him. Um, I think. Uh, this is probably a point more about Arsenal than about Newcastle, but I think that the Willock signing for you know if it's reportedly twenty million pounds is is a pretty good use of that money. Um, he put up great numbers in terms of touching the box, um, you know shots and goals and xG and all that compared to other midfielders. And I think that Arsenal's loss is very much Newcastle's gain. I mean, if you look at Arsenal's current stable of midfielders, Mohamed El Nani doesn't do any, anything like that. Neither does Shaka, Partey, Torreira, Lukonga. Uh, you know. I think that's pretty much all that maybe Smith Rowe a little bit, but he's he's a slightly different player. So I think that it's a big, big, big loss for Arsenal, really. Um, and I think that if they can find a nice system, maybe that four one two one two or the four four two diamond, it could work really well for for Willock and expect him again to to have a decent season again maybe be on the fringes of the England squad as well it's a name we're going to see a lot of in English football this season because we've got Joe Willock at Newcastle United Chris Willock at QPR he's a real talent uh, and seems to have found a home at a QPR side who are uh, playing entertaining football and and Willock Tom in terms of expected threat which you wrote about on the athletic site last week an excellent piece I know in championship terms Willock was a real star of the expected threat metric last season and then Matty Willock as well has joined Salford City scored a 30 yard screamer on debut in League 2 on the weekend so there you go three Willocks to look out for all of them on the rise I reckon Norwich City next up and it'd be good to see them on the rise because two years ago their tilt at Premier League survival was poor really they burst onto the scene in a a sort of glorious defeat didn't they to to Liverpool uh, on the first Friday night of the season but they only mustered 21 points overall Uh, what about this time Michael? Yeah that was such a weird campaign they ended up getting the fifth worst Premier League points tally ever which was bizarre for a team who had about five or six players that could comfortably have made the jump to a top half side I think it's a good argument they're worse on paper than two years ago to be honest. I mean, they've, they've lost some of those good players. I think Buendia is a massive loss considering his, his numbers in terms of creativity. Um, and I promise at some point I will start uh, stop talking about teams who have a difficult start to the campaign. <laughs> but Norwich start with Liverpool, Manchester City, Leicester and Arsenal, which is a pretty bad first four to start with. OK, it comes into its own uh, later. They have a, a fairly gentle run in the spring, for example. But it could be... A difficult start for them. And like you say, after bursting onto the scene and getting used to that kind of yeah, new energy you get from being in the Premier League two years ago, which did sustain them for half a season, well, they're not going to be doing the same thing again this time around. So, yeah, I, I do slightly wonder whether Norwich will be in any better shape than they were last time we saw them. They've been shrewd in the market as per uh, Milot Rashica coming from Werder Bremen, who were relegated on a cut price deal. And I think if you're swapping a a £35 million player out in Buendia for an £8.5 million player in Rashika, it, it doesn't matter too much that he's 10 20 30% worse because you've made a lot of money from that deal. Um, obviously, it'd be nice to have a player of Buendia's quality in your squad, but that's life. Um, then you've got Lees Melu, who's joined from Nice, who I think for £3.5 million for a solid top five league quality starting centre mid is, is good value and decent. And I think Billy Gilmore as well is a really, really good signing. Uh, I'm excited to see 
more of him kind of dictating that midfield for Norwich because I think that that's the one place they were probably let down a bit by in the Premier League last time is Tom Tribal really kind of busy at times centre which is kind of more defensive midfielder I'd say um, not really good at passing the ball forwards and I think that Gilmore is that's probably one of his strengths being very very tidy in, in tight areas so yeah issue again really is probably lack of goals um, maybe that the the kind of new signings will gel in a manner which gives Timu Puki a, a few more chances than he had back in 2019-20 when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Southampton up next, who had a bit of a season of two halves last time out. I just wonder, Michael, whether the the better conditions this season, particularly when it comes to the schedule uh, and touch wood, uh, much fewer uh, teams being impacted by the virus, that we might see a little more of Ralph Hasenhutl's press and hustle. <laughs> Yeah, maybe. Um, I must say, I'm finding it difficult to be positive about them. I mean, they had a very good start to last season, slipped down the table pretty alarmingly after about a third of the way through last season. And I do think that could continue. They've lost Danny Ings, of course, who's been responsible for so much good about Southampton over the last couple of seasons. Um, yeah, I think they could struggle. I think there's a little bit of a difficult mood around the club as well. The, investor, uh, the owner's clearly not willing to invest much money in the side they've got a lot of very decent players but you know to repeat what I said earlier I think you often do just need one standout attacker who's capable of leading you and capable of putting up good numbers and I'm not sure who that is without Ings Shea Adams is a decent player but he's been really a support act um, over the past couple of seasons so yeah I really like Southampton I like him as a club I like going down to St Mary's but I'm a little bit worried about them yeah I probably agree on that I think they'll they'll likely finish lower bottom half. Um, mm -hmm. The start of the last season, I mean, I think we all got wrapped up in it and thinking, oh, could they be the side that does really well because of the pandemic and all this? And and I think we got fooled by uh, some some good finishing, some James Will Prowse free kicks uh, and a bit of luck. Um, and I think that the numbers didn't look great at all last season. Um, they picked up a, a bit towards the end in terms of the XG, actually they were creating per game, um, which was, was important. But yeah, with Danny Ings gone, uh, it's hard to see who that focal point is. I guess Adam Armstrong um, from Blackburn is, is the name rumoured to to be coming in. I think that he's a decent signing. And um, I think he's been confirmed, actually, Tom. Nice. Okay. So there, there we go. Uh, and I think that he could probably play that that Ings mould um, of kind of this this nine and a half kind of press happy striker from the front. Um, and aside from Armstrong, I mean they've got a couple of of youngsters from Chelsea. Um, Tino Liveramento from 
who's I think a fullback. He's come for five million pounds, and some suggesting that he was kind of the best player from that academy. Uh, if you look at the last time that happened, it's Tarek Lamptey for just around three million pounds to Brighton. He's probably worth ten times that now. So very very good. Um, and uh, Armando Broja or Broca, who is a Albanian striker, tall like six uh, six two six three. Um, had a very good season at Vitesse in the Eredivisie in Holland. So I think those two are perhaps gone a little bit under the radar. Uh, obviously, like we said, Michael said, lack of investment, but they've picked up a pretty good couple of young players there for, for low fee slash no fee, um, and they could play a big part for Southampton, and they might have to, um, given there's not going to be many other players coming in, I doubt. Tottenham approached the season with Nuno in the dugout. Michael, of course quite a lot of off-field distraction at the moment when it comes to their, their captain and leader, talisman, Harry Kane. What do you expect from Spurs under Nuno? Can't really see a good reason for progress aside from possible improved morale. I mean, as much as we love talking, ta- uh, talking tactics here, players simply don't like Mourinho anymore. That's been a factor for him at various clubs. Uh, Nuno's a difficult one to read. I really can't work out how good a job he did with Wolves because he just had a calibre of player you just don't expect for a newly promoted club it's it's a difficult one to make an argument for them progressing and of course this is the issue with the transfer window carrying on for three weeks after the start of the season because we don't know whether Harry Kane will be there or not I would say he probably will be but if he's not everything changes completely so um, tough to say at the moment yeah it feels like a very long time ago that Jack Pitt Brook and, and um, our Spurs writers were covering the you know the Spurs manager uh, Hunt and, and saying that they want a very progressive manager and a different style from from Jose Mourinho and look where we've ended up um, essentially a, a younger version of him. Um, I, I'm intrigued by this because I think that Spurs actually have all the pieces. I mean, they do have the pieces to play a, a three four three or a three five two. Um, it's arguably a system that maybe suits Kane quite well where you can maybe use possession and build up a bit further upfield something Mourinho didn't really look to do but have Kane with two runners instead of just the one in Son I think that that shape could work but um, yeah I guess like Michael said it all depends if Kane stays or not I think Lautaro Martinez is the the replacement in the picture I think you've got to think longer term for after Nuno if they get in a more progressive manager who gives the ball at feet to the striker 5, 10, 15 times more per game. Is he that guy? I think he probably can be. Um, and I think he's probably decent value if they bring him in. But so a lot of ifs and buts. Uh, and yeah, it's it's quite an underwhelming summer managerial-wise. But um, I think, yeah, some some interesting interesting players in Christian Romero, especially at the back, who is a very aggressive centre-back who I'm excited to see uh, in a couple of days' time. We welcome Watford back to the Premier League. Uh, in the 18-19 season, they finished 11th. That was their fourth season at the level after winning promotion. And, and they seemed established their highest position in that time, finishing 11th. But then a, a bit of a horror show in 1920. They went down in 19th position. Didn't take long to bounce straight back up. They came second in the Championship last season. Michael, do you have a decent steer on what you expect from Watford this season? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> There's a lot of elements about the side I'm not sure about. Not sure about Cisco as a manager. I think um, I think it was quite a good gig to take over a, a side who had just been relegated to the championship in that season. Because as we saw, you know, the, the sides who had just gone down, or two of them anyway, came straight back up. There's a lot of question marks about the players they've brought in for me, a kind of weird and wonderful mix that Tom might have more knowledge of than me. But the players I do know, 
in the side. I can't help thinking they're players who have kind of proved that they're not quite Premier League level in previous years. And I just, I think it's going to be a, a difficult campaign for Watford. I think little to really make a case for why they would stay up. They're a side who needs one or two attackers to, to really have a great season. I do like Saar. I mean, that game against Liverpool, um, what was that? Just before lockdown, I think, wasn't it? He was absolutely sensational. Um, there's not that much to, to speak about in a positive sense, I don't think. Tell us about this summer of recruitment, Tom. Yeah, very. I guess very odd. But then again, we, we kind of praise scattergun recruitment at times i mean we've spoken at length on this podcast about brighton's recruitment and you know they're they're not they won't not take a danny welbeck or an adam lalana and then they'll also go to to columbia and get um moises caicedo but for for watford i mean the the big money signing is imran Luza, who's a uh, a midfielder from nantes scored seven goals in midfield last season looks like he's a very uh, adept passer from the base of midfield which of course will be useful in the premier league but Elsewhere, you've got Ashley Fletcher, who's not really scored goals anywhere he goes, um, which is completely against what you usually say about a player who's uh, who's had a similar career path. Um, Danny Rose on a free transfer, who kind of looked past it at Newcastle and, and Spurs at this level. Emmanuel Dennis, three and a half million pounds, who um, again looked good a couple of years ago at Bruges, and now he's kind of bounced around Europe a little bit on a few loans and not really done too much that's impressive. Uh, Josh King, again, you think his best days probably passed him. Peter Tabo on loan from Stoke, um, which again is a random one. A couple of kids in Quadro Bar um, and uh, a couple of guys from Rangers and Celtic, a young goalkeeper, a young striker. Uh, and 34-year-old Uri Kuchka from Parma on loan, which uh, I enjoyed watching him at the summer um, at the Euros, but it doesn't really stink of, of a lot of value there so very um it's a very Dell boy summer I'm going to put it that way and also very pot so <laughs> well next up is West Ham and I suppose after last season's impressive sixth place finish that the objective has to be to match that and to show that they can hit this consistent level of performance which they hadn't been able to in, in previous seasons Michael do you think that's likely to happen I'll be honest and say that I'm still not entirely sure why they were so effective last season uh, and I think they might struggle a bit this time around. Lingard, he was so good for them coming in midway through the campaign, both in terms of his numbers, and he just seemed to bring some energy to the side as well. There's no real replacement for him uh, in terms of who they brought in, although I think Ben Rama, you know what I said previously, I think last year was a difficult time to move clubs, even if he was only moving across the capital. Um, quite a first season, but I still think he's a brilliant player and he could explode into a real star of the Premier League. But they don't have that much depth up front and I worry about the impact of European football um, because it's not a big squad. It's not a deep squad. It's quite an old side as well. So they're another one I think could... Uh, I'd be surprised if they didn't drop a few places from last year. Tom? Real lack of business so far, that given European football and given the depth of the squad as it is, it is a bit of a, uh, bit of a warning sign. Um, and I think maybe points to you know, just how much of a handle David Moyes has on recruitment. If you can't get your first target or something goes wrong, have they put in the background work to get a second or third or fourth in the pipeline? Um, I don't think they'll finish as well this season. I think uh, it's a, probably a quirk of the pandemic last year. Moyes' tactics just working really well. Lingard having a bit of a hot streak and just generally that being a a tactical well, means of playing that made the most out of what they had without actually expelling too much from from the tank of the players that they had, and it's probably something that you can do in a in a pandemic season, uh, but maybe doesn't work in a, a normal one. Um, and no backup striker to Antonio, uh, uh, although that you know could happen with a couple more weeks of the window left. But um, 
hands down some of the best names of any signings of the summer. <laughs> um, Thierry Nevers from Reading uh, is 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 great, uh, and also Armstrong Ocoflex from Celtic, <laughs> um, which that's the best name ever. Um, so he has to be uh, in the Premier League Hall of Fame by the time he retires, otherwise he's failed. <laughs> and last but not least, Wolverhampton Wanderers who. Won the championship 17-18, finished 7th immediately back at the top level. Then 7th again, uh, last season back down to 13th. Michael, could the appointment of Bruno Lage to replace Nuno be the, the shot in the arm they need to get them back into the top half? I'm not convinced. I'm a little bit worried for them. Um, and I must say, I feel like I've been negative about quite a lot of teams so far. But I think that's with good reason because... My instinct is that the economic impact of the pandemic and the shutdown has basically increased the gap between the the big and the small sides. So Chelsea still can spend 100 million on Lukaku. City can spend 100 million on uh, Grealish and trying to do the same, and probably more than that, on Kane. With some of the other sides, I think, are slightly struggling to improve. And I look at Wolves. I mean, Lager seemingly has been brought in in part to play better football. I think that has to work very quickly or the players and the fans get nervous and... You know, they've got a tough start. Leicester, Spurs, Man United first three. The goalkeeper position, I can't say I've seen much of Jose Saab, but, I mean, he's a Portuguese goalkeeper with zero caps. And they've let go of a Portuguese goalkeeper with 97 caps. Um, and while I haven't seen much of him, I'm sure that Fernando Santos has. And he's judged that he's, you know, not in the reckoning in terms of competing with Rui Patricio. And it likely changes system. I think that just means a lot of question marks. We spoke last season about, you know, how they moved away from a back three and played with the back four. And it wasn't that convincing for certain players. Connor Cody, the obvious one, but also the fullbacks. Also the, the central midfield, if that becomes a two. I think you're, you're probably losing Moutinho from that area because I think he needs to play in a, a three or at least play with three behind him. So, again, there's so many question marks, I think, about Wolves. So, um, they didn't have a good time of it last time out. Maybe they will not have as bad of a time of it, but I can't really see them pushing for the top half, personally. Yeah, I think it's good for them and really important for them that they've, they've got Raul Jimenez back because I think the combination of William Jose and... Um, Fabio Silva just weren't up to the task last season so that's good definitely good to have him back in the squad and I think on paper if if, if Laja is going to be a bit more attacking I think having a mix of Pedro Neto Adama Traore Daniel Pedence and Francisco Trincao is uh, is very good I mean that's at least a Europa League level if not Champions League group stage side level mm-hmm. attacking line so uh, that's that's going to be hopefully intriguing if he can make them a bit more attacking, a bit more unlocked than instead of under under Nuno. Um, I'm not too upset about Rui Patricio leaving, as I think he was declining anyway. Um, or, and Jose Sarr is is just a very Mendes signing, isn't it, I think. Um, but I think one player who we, we could get to see of uh, at some point is Yerson Mosquera, who I think is, is one actually from the recruitment team and not a Mendes signing. Um, really aggressive centre-back from Colombia, um, and yeah, I think there's a, there's a host of other teams in and kind of interested in signing him and loaning him out. And I think Wolves have kind of said, look, you'll get first team minutes. He's only 20 years old. He's a bit of a giant. Um, and yeah, excited to see to see him because uh, I mean they've they've not really brought anyone new into the bat line for a few seasons. I'm surprised that Roman Saez is still there. I think he's a pretty good player. Um, 
Connor Cody is probably a bit limited outside of playing at that central position of a back three and they probably need some fresh blood. So, um, yeah, excited to see what he brings to the table. Well, there you go. 20 Premier League teams previewed by Michael Cox and Tom Warville. Uh, if this was speed dating, I think based on what you guys have said in the limited time you had available, there's definitely uh, half a dozen sides that I'd be interested in getting to know a bit better and quite a large group of sides that just not for me just not for me but the good news is we're going to be keeping our eye on how the season develops we are very much back into the swing of things on the athletic football tactics podcast we will be weekly and more so michael and tom and i will be doing exactly what we've done for the last two seasons on this podcast and also we've got some ideas for some extra bonus episodes as well so please make sure you're subscribed to us and all of the other athletic podcasts it's a, a brilliant stable of football content for your ears and head to theathletic.com forward slash tactics if you'd like to subscribe and read all of tom and michael's writing as well so much good stuff happening over the next few weeks on the athletic site make sure that you are subscribed otherwise we hope you've enjoyed this one as always i will ask you to get in touch with us on twitter if you have any suggestions for future episodes we might attempt a mailbag style podcast over the next month or so um, so do chuck in any questions that you have and make sure that you join us again next week on the athletic football tactics podcast The Athletic.